Hello, may I welcome you to episode 5 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working, or worked in the case of some of my future guests, in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. My guest this episode is my first supplier to the industry, Mr. Crate Hire himself, Paul Buller, a very well-known individual within the moving industry, where Paul discusses his time to date within the industry, working at several crate rental companies over the past 40 years. And Paul talks about the Removers Benevolent Association, a BAR charity for its members, and what his role entails. My apologies for the slight sound issue during the recording of this episode. I hope it doesn't distract you from your listening pleasure. Enjoy. Good afternoon, Paul. How are you? Welcome to Moving Matters. Good afternoon, Colin. I'm very well, thank you, albeit a little hot, but thank you for inviting me. My pleasure, my absolute pleasure. Can you tell everyone a little about yourself and the length of time in this industry? Well, I knew that question was coming up, so I've actually been researching this, and I was astonished to find out I've actually been supplying this industry with plastic crates for over 40 years. I started uh, with a company called Crates International in 1977. Uh, That was a firm that was set up by my father and one of his business contacts, a chap called Jim Clugston. And Jim Clugston was actually the guy that spotted these uh, types of crates in use in Swedish supermarkets. He had contacts in the removal industry over here, bought some over here. They were made of fiberboard in those days. And hence, and from that, literally, an industry was born. It was quite remarkable, really. So, yeah, I, I have customers today that were my customers back then, back in the 70s. Um, obviously, back then, I was dealing with their parents. Lately, nowadays, I'm dealing with sons and their sons and daughters. But, it, yeah, there are some customers that I have that long a relationship with, which is quite remarkable. Very remarkable, Paul, considering you don't look a day over 40. <laughs> so how did you get started in the industry again as i said I, I was actually when i left school i was selling cars i was selling renault cars and i was actually quite good at it but i lost my job and a friend of mine called ken and i just wondered what we were going to do and the only thing we could think of doing to earn a earn a buck was uh, we hired a, a little white van and we started doing removals so again, I might be responsible for the start of the dreaded man and van removals. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, we, we did that for a while. And, and then, as I said, this opportunity came up to work with my dad at Crates International. And yeah, that's obviously that's what I've done ever since. So Crates International started over 40 years ago. Yeah. And you sold Crates International? We were bought out. There was only one other competitor around at that time. Uh, that was a firm called Rent-A-Crate. And they bought us out. And I was supposed to go and work there then, but um, it never happened. They just bought, bought us and shut everything down. <laughs> we just got rid of us. <laughs> so where, where did you go then? Uh, from there, I actually uh, went off to Giltspur Bullens because they had a little removal company of their own called GB Crate Hire. 
So I went off to work for Giltsburg Bullens, where I met some wonderful people. That I, I was running their arm called GB Crate Hire. And yeah, I, I, we built that up and built that up until eventually, of course, Giltsburg Bullens and GB Crate Hire got bought by Pickfords and it all became part of Pickfords. And where do you work now? I now work at PHS Tea Crate. PHS Tea Crate obviously supply crates, but I believe packaging too. How did PHS Tea Crate come about? PHS Tea Crate, again, is quite a remarkable story because it goes back to the Rent-A-Crate days because in the days when Rent-A-Crate bought Crates International, it was run by a chap called Gordon McGuigan. Now, eventually, Gordon McGuigan left Rent-A-Crate and he set up the company Tea Crate. <laughs> so um, it, 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 it's all very strange. It's all very interconnected, of course. I mean, the... the, the the McGuigans are no they, they've retired, they're no longer part of T Crate. It's now wholly owned by PHS. But you know, it has quite a, a long and distinguished history. I went from Rent-A-Crate, I went off to set up another company of my own called Quick Crates with a parent company called OCS. And eventually T Crate, what it became, it bought Rent-A-Crate, which was suffering from some financial troubles at the time. And it also bought OCS quick rates at the same time. And that's how kind of like the industry sort of, uh, you know, came together. And your role at PHST Crate is? Key account manager. When I first got there for a few months, they didn't know what the hell to do with me. Um, but uh, <laughs> they, they thought, hang on a minute. This chap knows some people. Let's make him key account manager. We'll put him in charge of all our biggest accounts. And that's what I've been doing for 12, 13 years now. Literally, my role has been to uh, maintain and develop friendship, which I think I've done quite well. I think I'm quite good at being friendly with people. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it, it's, you know, that, that's it. That's it. And, and obviously to bring on new business where I can. So, uh, which again is very useful because I'm quite a well-known name in the industry. If something if something goes on and somebody's looking for crates, I tend to be the person that gets the phone call. So that, that, that's quite nice too. How has technology and barcodes changed crate rental? That is a good question. The barcodes has actually made quite a, quite a lot of difference. The barcoding technology allows you to order crates from us, which are delivered into a specific customer. We scan the barcodes as they are delivered in, and we know which of your customers has had those particular barcode numbers delivered into them. That means when we go to do the collection again, we scan the crates out again, and the crates can automatically be allocated to that customer. There's no waiting around for allocations of crates or anything like that. We know exactly who those crates belong to because they were scanned in and they were scanned out. One of the byproducts that we weren't expecting, it's also slashed missing crates. On the standard crate, the main crate, the LC3 crate, uh, the LC3B has literally halved losses. Now, the reason for that is because a crate could come back from somebody else. If you've got a building where other, there's other people working in it as well, a crate can come back from them. Well, we scan those crates, and if one of those crates is yours, it gets allocated to you. Whereas in the past, that crate you would have thought, oh, it's just gone missing. So that it, it's actually cut down on losses. 
We've also had some wonderful comments from some of the customers themselves. For example, you know, one of the famous colleges, their, the estates manager up there was absolutely fed up with every time he had moves going on up there, the, he, he was faced with costs of a couple of crates going missing. So he started having barcoded crates delivered in there. And he had the he had the crates delivered in separately, so he'd have sort of you know fifty crates go to the IT department, fifty crates go to the accounts department, and they were scanned in separately. So he knew which one had which crates. So again, at the end of the move, if there's two crates missing, we were able to tell him or show him which department they were missing from. He was able to go back to that department and say, "You guys have lost two crates. You're going to pay for them." He was ecstatic because it meant he wasn't paying for them out of his budget anymore. But also the, the unexpected benefit of that was that he would go into the right department, say, you've got two crates missing. And they'd say, oh, dear, how did that happen? Does anybody know anything about that? Nobody would say anything, obviously. But then the next day when they all turn up for work, oh, hey, presto, those two crates have turned up. And what <laughs> really happened is that somebody has looked at those two crates and thought, oh, That'll be, that'll be useful in the shed. Or, oh, little Tommy's Lego will be nice and tidy in one of those crates. And they thought, they haven't thought anything of it. But now, oh dear, they know exactly which department those crates went missing from. And they turned up again. Now, this has happened so many times. It's untrue. So the barcoding not only aids us in keeping crates under control, so there's not loads and loads of unallocated crates because we know exactly which customer they belong to, it's also reduced losses, which you know is brilliant for everybody. From our point of view, we're not arguing with our customer about lost crates. They're not arguing with their customer about lost crates. It, it, it's an absolute win-win. It really is. The, the barcoding has, it, it's a fairly simple thing, but it has been a fantastic thing for the industry. And the vast majority of the members of the commercial moving group who are the office and commercial movers use us and use barcoded crates. Several of them have described, said to me, it's an absolute no-brainer. So there you go. That's, you know, it, it really has been a very useful thing. Do you barcode anything else, bar crates? Do you barcode the cages or anything like that? Or is it just the crates because they, they often go wandering off home? <laughs> All the main crates are barcoded and, and the cages are barcoded. And those in particular are high-value items. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, we we barcoded, you know, as much stuff as we can because it's been so successful. It really has. So what challenges have you had to overcome? Challenges? Um in my work life there's been a couple of bouts of redundancy, but I'll be honest, in neither case did it last very long. In my personal life, I think uh, the biggest challenge was my mother dying when I was 9 years old. That kind of affects you as a kid. The other one, the obvious one, perhaps, is um, going through secondary school with the with the surname Bullock. You know what kids are like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no idea, Paul. No idea whatsoever. And I, I think I think that's where my sense of humour came from. It was a matter of <laughs> develop a sense of humour or die. <laughs> I love it. If you could change anything from the past, apart from your surname. What would it be? <laughs> uh, well, obviously, my mum. You know, dying at nine years old—that's pretty. That's pretty early. And you know, I, here I am now. I'm, I'm, I'm married. Been married for over thirty years to the to the same lovely woman. We've got two great kids. 
family is very, very important to me because of what happened to me when I was younger. Um, but obviously, if I could bring my mum back so she could meet her grandchildren, she'd love them to bits, obviously. And what is your high point of being in the industry? Well, do you know what? I've thoroughly enjoyed being part of this industry. I really have. There's some wonderful people in this industry, um, people that today I count not just as, as, as work colleagues, but as personal friends. And um, it, it, it has been a really good time. I've enjoyed close relationships with the British Association of Removers and quite a few people there. But I suppose my high point would be being asked to join the Removers Benevolent Association by the lovely Derek Payne, who's sadly no longer with us. That, to me, was really nice to be asked. He was aware of the fact that I went to uh, went around to a lot of the area meetings, and he literally just asked me, would I join, as, uh, join the committee of the RBA, and would I represent the RBA at the meetings? And that, to me, was really nice. It was a it was a bit of recognition for the time that I've been around the industry. Excellent. I do have some questions about the RBA, so I will come back to the RBA. Okay. What one thing would you change in this moving industry? Perception. I've been, I've been a supplier to this industry for many, many years, and one thing throughout that has not changed, and that is the, the poor perception that the general public has of the moving industry. Some of that is brought about by the existence of the man and vans. But where it is professional, like in the British Association of Removers, it is a highly skilled job, a highly skilled industry. And I just wish there was more recognition for it. You know, it, 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 it astonishes me, particularly in the household market, that, you know, they'll go along to do a quote for a, a, to, to move a four bedroom house and the the person there will expect to pay less probably than the telly in the corner costs. And I just, I just struggled. I've never understood that. I've never have. Because the poor removal guys are always at the end of the, the moving chain as such, isn't it? I guess. I guess, yeah. I Quite happily pay £200 an hour for the solicitor to push a pen, but don't want to pay £200 for a day's removal. And yet the removal guys are moving their worldly possessions. Exactly. I've never understood it. As I've said before on a podcast, it's like the guys play human Tetris with with your worldly possessions. There's an awfully good skill and art to pack in that lorry. Not that I've ever done a removal, I can assure you. Like you, Paul, I know too many removal companies, so if I need a removal, I've got phone numbers. (laughs) (laughs) What advice would you give to a young Paul Bullock just starting out in this industry? Well, this is actually quite relevant. I, I have done a lot of networking. I, you know, I've found it very, very useful through the years to do networking, to get to know people, and it has served me well. Now, my son, a few years ago, three, four years ago, went off to Copenhagen to do his master's degree. While he was out there, uh, had a fantastic time, absolutely loves it out there, decided to stay. Um, he loves it so much, he's decided to stay. So he said to me, what piece of advice could I give him to, um, you know, to build his life out there? And I said, network, get out there and meet people. Along the way, you will meet some lovely people. You will meet some interesting people. You will meet some people who probably aren't very nice, but they may be useful in the future. So just network, get, you know, get to know as many people as you can, which he has done. He's, he's 29, but he's already built up quite a useful network of people. And it has helped him in his job, his, his job he does out there. 
and he's even been able to help some of his friends out there. So my advice is network. Now, how that's going to translate to the future, if, uh, if, if VAR meetings all go over to Zoom meetings and things like that, I'm really not too sure because there's nothing like actually meeting people and shaking hands with people. Bumping elbows doesn't do it for me, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what I would say, network. Networking seems to be the most popular answer to that question. So what do you do outside of this industry to switch um, off? As I said, family is very important. Uh, and so I spend time with my family. Um, my daughter still lives at home with us. She's 25, not showing any particular sign of going anywhere. But I'm not in a hurry for her to go. She's, she's a lovely lady. She's a, a veterinary nurse. And so she's doing a wonderful job. But uh, so I like to spend time with family. I'm also a bit of a film buff. I love a good movie. I'm actually a member of the Everyman Cinemas and uh, we go along there and watch movies in armchairs with glasses of wine and things like that. And that's, that's really nice. And a face mask at the moment. And a face mask at the moment, yes, which can be difficult when you're drinking wine, but hey-ho. But one of the things a lot of the industry doesn't know about me, um, everybody thinks I'm an Arsenal supporter, which I am. Um, I thought you were, yeah. Yeah, everybody thinks I'm an Arsenal supporter. The simple reason for that is because football is a very, very, very popular sport. And when you're looking for common ground to, to talk to people about, often football is that common ground. But so I'm hold actually... on, Paul. Is this, is this going to be an exclusive? <laughs> Are all the listeners going to be like, he supports who? <laughs> you're going well, to upset everybody now and say you're a Tottenham fan, aren't you? <laughs> No, no, I couldn't go that far. Um, no, I, I have some Tottenham friends, obviously, who uh, I take the mickey out of every now and again. Yeah, um, sorry for that, Bob Tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's one of them. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I'm actually a rugby union fan. I support uh, Wasps rugby union team and have done for a long, long time. There are a few in the industry that know that and are also rugby union fans. But in the main, people think I'm an Arsenal football fan. And they're OK, but they're not my world. <laughs> And, and do you go and watch the rugby? I do. Yeah, I do. I go up to Coventry um, and, wa and watch Wasp play. So, yeah, I do that. And, uh, yeah, I think I, I, I love the sport. And it's actually coming back to, uh, to us this weekend. So uh, I'm really excited about that and looking forward to seeing it. So going back now to the RBA. Yeah. Can you tell everyone a little about the RBA? Right. Well, there's a bit here I'm going to read out because it's important to get it right. The RBA is to provide assistance for necessitous persons, including their spouses and their dependent children, who are or have been employed continuously for a period of not less of two years by a current member of the British Association of Removers. So that is what the RBA is. It is the, the charity for the members of the BAR. It does quite a lot of work behind the scenes. We supply money to people in hardship. And as you heard there, anybody that used to work for a, a current VAR member company, even if they retired 10 years ago, may be able to claim. They may be a necessitous person. And that is the, that is the criteria that we use. We paid out a lot of money to help with funeral expenses and things like that, you know, with, uh, with wives that have been... With, been whose husbands have died on the on the job and you know they've got mon no money to bury their their husbands we've paid out that kind of thing but it covers a whole gamut of things that the, the rba has paid out for 
And I'm very proud to be involved with it, as I said before, I really am. I think it's a wonderful thing. My job is literally, um, as I said, to keep the RBA at the, uh, in, at, the, at the head of discussions when I go to BAR meetings and things like that. Very often at BAR meetings, they'll be talking about how much money they've got in the bank and um, I'll be sitting there or on Zoom or whatever and I'll cough and say RBA. You know, um, the RBA survives. It has, it has a fund um, which, it, which it has invested. But of course, interest rates aren't particularly good at the moment. We can only use the interest that we get from the fund to to uh, make payouts. So we need income from um, the the areas and from the conferences, which aren't happening at the moment. So, you know, from our point of view, that is a bit of a worry that, you know, we need funds coming in so that we can help people. So perhaps I could ask during this podcast, if there's anybody out there who perhaps would have stuck a hundred quid in in the rba van at the conference and because it wasn't there you couldn't do it if you wouldn't mind please go online to the removers benevolent association website and you can make a donation there or you can link to it through the bar website that would be wonderful we really do need the money i will put links in the show notes to that can they actually go to the website and make a direct donation uh, yes there is a page there for making a donation if you wish yes Okay, I will put a direct link to that donation page and I will send £100 to it personally. You're, uh, as you're soon as we finish this podcast, we will send £100 across. You are a wonderful human being, Colin. I knew there was a reason I liked you. <laughs> and everybody else that's listening, do your job. So do you have one or two examples that you, that you can sort of like explain how the RBA have helped people. I know you mentioned funerals and, and, and things like that, but um, well, and the well, other thing is, well, I'll come back to the other question actually, but yeah, if you've got a couple of examples, that would be nice. Yeah, uh, well, one of the, one of the famous ones was the, uh, the, the, the poor chap who, died, who got killed at Pickford's um, and we were able to help out his family, um, which they really needed at the time. Um, you know, there's, there's that kind of thing, but most of it is, is, you know, we've had people stepping off a vehicle, breaking an ankle, and they're off work for weeks, and they need help to get through that period. It's you know, it can be sort of more mundane things like that. It doesn't have to be monetary awards. I mean, one of my f- little favourites actually is a is a is a, an old retired chap, and uh, we were, we were contacted by the company that he used to work for, but they're still a BAR member. His gas fire had broken, and he couldn't afford a new one, so we bought him a new gas fire. You know, it's it's things like that. There are lots of things that we do that, you know, literally just simply to help people out. People can claim, it's, as you, you know, as I said before, necessitous is the word. Again, claims, uh, you can make a claim via the Removers Benevolent Association website and the trustees will have a look at it. And if you're successful, you will get some kind of money back. So if you wanted to make a claim, mm-hmm. you do that, Directly through the website, you haven't got to go to your BAR company that you're employed by and get them to do it. You can just go directly to the website and make a claim that way. It should come via the BAR member. Okay. My other question about the RBA would be that during the BAR area meetings or Zoom calls that you get, you're generally with company owners. Yep. And not really the guys that are on the front line as such. How do we make the guys on the front line aware of this RBA? Because I would reckon 
the majority of them don't even know that it's available to them. The company owners, that's that that we regard as their job to make their guys aware that um, that this is available. And to be fair, most of them are the kinds of people that, you know, if one of their guys enters into some hardship, they are aware of it and they will make a claim on, on that person's behalf. So, you know, that that does happen a lot, obviously. You know, I, I, you know, I can't mention names or anything like that, but, you know, we get a lot of those kind of, uh, you know, inquiries and claims from, from owners of businesses on behalf of their staff. And at, the more we do things like that, the more the staff themselves become aware of it. Well, hopefully a lot of them will be listening to this podcast and they will be hearing about it for the very first time too. So finally, I like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story. Do you have one to tell? I have lots. It's what I can... Then we are all ears because the last one I recorded had lots and the one before that had three. There seem to be more and more. So let's go for it, Paul. Well, um, I have attended lots of conferences over the years. The first BAR conference I ever went to was actually in Park Lane. I don't know how long ago that was that they were in Park Lane, but uh, um, I've been going to, to conference every year for many, many, many years. My funniest thing happened on one of those conferences. It, I was working for Rent-A-Crate at the time, and Rent-A-Crate was sponsoring uh, the conference that year. I can't remember what year it was. I can't even remember where it was. But as part of that sponsorship, we had little miniature crates full of sweets, and we were putting one in every delegate's room. Well, this job fell to me, and I had a skeleton key, and I was knocking on, I had a list of rooms, and I was knocking on doors, and patiently waiting for people to answer or not before I was using the skeleton key and going in and placing the, the, little, the, ch- the little crate of chocolates where they could see it and a little message welcoming them. But of course, after about 20 of knocking on doors, I was getting really fed up with this and I was aware of the fact that the bar was open and there was things going on down there that I'd much rather be involved in. So it got to the stage where myself and my colleague who was doing it with me at the time, we were literally knocking on the door one second was elapsing. The key, the skeleton key was going in the door. We were in, sweets down, off again. Well, in the process of this, one of these, we knocked on the door, skeleton key straight in, swung the door open. And there is a very, very, very embarrassed young lady, stark naked, who's just got out of the shower. She was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. Neither of us knew what to do. I kind of like threw the sweets at her, slammed the door, and we left. After that, the, um, we carried on. We start, and we were paying attention now to were people answering. But again, 10 doors later, we were fed up with that again. So it was literally back to knocking on the door, skeleton key straight in, in we went. And sure enough, this time went straight into one of these rooms. And there is a, an, a very naked old man who's just got out of the shower. <laughs> and that was very embarrassing for both of us as well. Now, the old man was part of the industry. Sadly, he's no longer with us, so we 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 can't talk about uh, we can't talk about him. The young lady was the daughter of somebody who still owns a removal company uh, in the BAR and is very well known in the BAR. So you're going to name her now, aren't you? At the count of three, Paul. One, two, three. <laughs> so, no, no names, but he knows who he is. 
Very good. Very good. Oh, yeah, it's very good. I've often wondered how those crates get into hotel rooms. <laughs> Go on then, Paul. You must have one more. You said you've got a few. Okay, I've got one from when I, when I first started um, with, with Gilkspur Bullens and their GB crate hire, they decided that I really needed to understand how the removal site happened. So for the first week, they put me out on a van with a lovely old chap called Roy Cowdell, who you know other people in the industry might remember him, but he was a wonderful old, old boy. Could double up Father Christmas. He had white hair and a white beard and all this kind of thing. But I was out with him on one particular household move and we're carrying boxes up and down and, uh, and all this kind of thing, get, getting on famously with the lady of the house. All of a sudden, Roy comes down the stairs banging something on his leg, saying, where's, where's the lady? Where's the lady? And I sort of pointed towards the kitchen and he walked past me and walked into the kitchen and I, I, I followed him in. And this thing, he's banging on his leg. And he said to her, excuse me, madam. He said, I found your torch under the bed, but I think it needs new batteries. It's not working. <laughs> and she looked down at it and I looked down at it. And it was a vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it's taken to episode five to, for somebody <laughs> to mention a vibrator. <laughs> um, again, there, there, there was quite, there, there was some initial embarrassment and then everybody burst out laughing. And then, you know, we just, she was wonderful about it. The whole thing. She thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and the mood went smoothly and we all got a nice tip at the end of the day. So, <laughs> Hopefully not from the vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear about you, great rental industry and the RBA. And thank you so much for your strawberries. Hopefully that lady will come forward. <laughs> <laughs> no, she won't. She's, she's still very embarrassed about it. <laughs> I will see you at a BAR area meeting at some point. I know you don't like bumping elbows, but we'll, we'll, we'll ching-ching a beer. I'm sure we will. Thanks, Colin. Nice to speak to you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Bye-bye. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 5 of Moving Matters, despite the minor sound issues. If you did, then please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters, which they can listen to on their podcast player of choice. And please, if you can, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes. My thanks and appreciation goes to Paul Bullock for giving up his time to record this episode on one of the hottest days of the year. Thank you again, Paul. If you would like to know more about PHST Crate and the services they offer, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode or on our webpage movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners, do reach out to me. Don't be shy now. I want your story told. So please complete the contact form on our webpage movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Send me a tweet at movingmatterspc or email me host at movingmatterspodcast.co.uk or contact me on our Facebook page. If you would like to make a donation to the RBA, please go to rba-charity.org and choose donation or follow the links within the show notes. In fact, if you have enjoyed Moving Matters, you could show your appreciation by making a donation. Thank you. That website again is rba-charity.org. 
And as mentioned previously in episode 4, I am fortunate to have in my possession a book called Pantechnicon, which the front cover says, A History of Removals and Storage Through the Evolution of Its Vehicles. Produced by the British Association of Removers, it truly is a great book, packed with tons of photographs and plenty of history. Pantechnicon is available for a mere £20, with all proceeds going to the Removers Benevolent Association. To order your copy of Pantechnicon, simply email membershipservices at bar.co.uk and tell the Moving Matters podcast recommended it. Well, that is all from me, so until next time, keep moving. <laughs>